right, Colossians chapter 2. We finally get here. We looked the last time we were in Colossians at the ministry of the minister, and then that we concluded that not all of us are obviously called to be a Paul, but we're all called to minister as he did. And so we saw that in chapter 1. In the opening verse, though, of Colossians chapter 2, we discover something else that we are to share with him. So we begin in verse 1 of chapter 2. He said, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Again, at this time of this writing, Paul was a prisoner at Rome. And as we saw from chapter 1, he learned of this church and what was happening in the church at Colossae through Epaphras, who, from what we glean in chapter 1, was probably the minister or pastor of that church. He was also a fellow prisoner of Paul's. This is why Paul said in verse 1, And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So what we see in his opening verse is that Paul's focus was on the church at Colossae, the church at Laodicea, and the churches in that area. That was his focus. We know geographically speaking, as we have concluded, Colossae and Laodicea were within 12 miles of each other. They were essentially neighbors geographically. So from a doctrinal perspective, our interests should be automatically piqued because of the mention of Laodicea. And as we said many weeks ago, you only find the, the name Colossae mentioned one time in the book of Colossians, whereas the Laodiceans or Laodicea is mentioned five times. And so that tells us something. We know that the seventh church that the Lord Jesus Christ addresses or addressed in Revelation chapter 3 was the church of the Laodiceans. And it is far from incidental that Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 begins with a door being opened in heaven and John hearing a voice as if it was the sound of a trumpet calling him up hither. That is anything but a coincidence. Prophetically speaking, we know after the conclusion of the church age, the trump will sound and the church will be called up hither. This is why after Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, you don't find any reference or mention to the church until you get to Revelation chapter 19. Because the church is not the focus. But this is why we're saying Colossians, without a doubt, is a letter for today. It is very applicable, very relevant to us at this very moment. Now, regarding Colossae, Laodicea, and the surrounding churches, Paul said that he had a great conflict for them. Now, this word conflict, it is translated from the Greek word agon, which is where we get our word agony today. And so Paul was agonizing over them. And we know he was agonizing because he said that his conflict for them was great. He was in great agony regarding their condition. The Lord Jesus Christ agonized, and I believe agonizes, over the church of the Laodiceans. He said to them, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That's agony. <laughs> He's grieving. 
And what we see in this opening verse of Colossians chapter 2 was that Paul was burdened. He was burdened. He had a burden for the Laodiceans. He had a burden for the Colossians. He had a burden for the surrounding churches. He was burdened for them. He was burdened by the fact that false teachers were attacking these churches and trying to entice them to move away from the hope of the gospel. That was Paul's burden, and it is a burden that we too should share with him. We should share with him, not just in the ministry that he had, but we should share with him the burden that he had. The burden that he had for God's people, the burden that he had for truth. Now, as it relates to this, there are two things that concern me at this moment, in these last days. One is, there are some believers who have no burden at all. I mean, as far as they're concerned, man, everything is just fine. All they want is if things just get a little bit better. Maybe this coronavirus goes away and the economy recovers. I mean, but outside of that, what's wrong? <laughs> they're not burdened at all. They have no idea that we really are in a significant spiritual battle. That the stakes are super high. Oh, what are you talking about? What are you so worked up over? That's concerning. When you know that, when you know what's happening in these last days, when you know that these are, in fact, the last of the last days, how can you not be burdened? Amen. But here's the other thing that concerns me. There are some believers who are burdened, but they're burdened about the wrong things. That's a concern. Uh, these would be those who are wrapped up in the politics of the coronavirus and the social issues and the election. They're burdened about those things. So they're squabbling and dividing with, overs, with others over their views and in doing so... <laughs> What they're doing is, is they're exposing their ignorance and lack of faith that God truly is in control, not man. Amen. He is. Listen, whether Trump gets reelected or Biden becomes the next president, there's only one thing you need to know. And this is it. It's in your notes. Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Amen. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, not man, is in control. So I don't have to get worked up, anxious, uh, agitated, divisive, argumentative, sensitive, offended about any of that stuff. Why? Because God is in control. And if you are willing to go to war and fight over those things, all you're saying is, is I don't believe that. I believe God would have me take it upon myself to convince everybody of what's really going on and why I'm right and they're not. And, oh, please. So as we read on, we come face to face with the burdens that we are to share. With Paul in these last of the last days. Verse 2. He begins by saying that their hearts might be comforted. 
being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In verse 2 he says that their hearts might be comforted. Simply put, <laughs> lies always create distress. Lies always create distress. They do. The believers at Thessalonica had also been attacked with heretical teachings regarding the last days. They had been, and they were anxious about that because those were lies. But after teaching them about the rapture of the church, remember what Paul said as he wrapped that up in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians? Verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Comfort, what words? <laughs> the words regarding the hope of the rapture. Amen. That ought to bring you comfort. The promise of the rapture should produce comfort in your heart in these last of the last days. So, we should have, listen, a burden for contentment. There should be a burden. In these last days, there should be a burden for contentment. In the biblical sense, a content person will be a comfortable person in any situation. This is why the Apostle Paul could write that in Philippians chapter 4, once again, as a prisoner. It didn't matter what situation he was in. If you have learned to be content, you can be and you will be comfortable in any situation. Yes. Because what produces both comfort and contentment is your faith in the promises of God. That's what produces it. Many who name the name of Christ are, unfortunately, very uncomfortable these days. They're restless. They're concerned. They're afraid. And when will things get back to normal? When will the economy recover? What are the schools going to do? I'll never forget, Dr. Tony Evans gave this illustration, and it has always stayed with me. Uh, he's a football fan, like myself and many others. But if you're not, that's okay. You can still get this. But one of the things that he shared was, he talked about, he says, I have the NFL Network. And one of the things that the NFL Network does is it, it, it replays games. Right? So it's going to, you know, game that, you know, is a game of the week or something like that. He goes, so when I'm watching my team play, which I'm assuming is probably the Dallas Cowboys because that's where his church is, right? There we go. There we go. All right. <laughs> we got a Cowboy fan in the house, <laughs> in case you didn't know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we're praying for you, bro. <laughs> Man, a house divided can't stand, right? So, something like that. Yeah. So what he said was, he says, you know, when I'm watching a replay of my team or the game that my team played in, you know what, if there is a fumble, an interception, a mishap, I don't get worked up because I know how it ends. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to win. <laughs> So I don't have to sweat or get anxious. You know what? We know how it ends. Amen. We know how this is going to end. We know who we are in Christ. We know that we've been made to sit together in heavenly places. We know that he's coming back for us. And so what am I worked up for? What am I anxious about? Nothing. 
I can be content. I can be comfortable. Why? Because I've already won. I'm already victorious. The Bible tells me that he always causes us to triumph in Christ. What am I worked up for? Give me a break. You can relax. You will be content as soon as you choose to think on the promises of God. The moment you choose to, to settle your heart and your mind on the promises of God, you'll be content. He goes on to say, being knit together in love. In chapter 1, he spoke of their love for all the saints. Here, his burden was to see them knit together in love. Again, they were under attack. In Judges chapter 20, the men of Israel all came together as one to address one of the darkest episodes of sin in all of the Bible that will make your stomach turn. Against a woman. And so they came to address that. And in in Judges 20 verse 11. We find the first mention. Of the word knit. It's in your notes. So all the men of Israel. Were gathered against the city. Knit together. As one man. They were getting ready. To go to war. In these last. Of the last days. As believers. As a local church. We are at war. Very much so. And what we desperately need right now is a burden for unity. (laughs) A burden for unity. A burden to be knit together in love. A burden for contentment. We're not restless. We're not panicking. We're not freaking out. A burden for contentment, but a burden for unity. We're not wasting our time and energy fighting and warring with one another. It's a burden for unity. He uses this phrase, knit together again, in verse 19, which we'll get to. But but to knit means to unite closely. (laughs) To unite closely. And one of the most exasperating, one of the most exasperating, Aspects of ministry is dealing with division. It is one of the most exasperating aspects of ministry. Is the fighting and the warring and the bickering and the schism between brother and sister or sister and sister, brother and brother in Christ. It absolutely wears you out. Because it never stops. It is so frequent, it is so pervasive, that you would think that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and he's still there. You would think that God hasn't given us one promise to think on. You would think that God hasn't done anything for us that would provoke us, compel us to be full of joy and peace and rejoicing and contentment. The way that we fight and bicker amongst ourselves, and it is in every single church. 
I was talking to a pastor recently in another state, and uh, he was just <laughs> venting. And I just goes, hey, man, none of that's happening in our church. Man, everybody's getting along. Everybody's happy with the pastors. Everybody agrees with every decision we're making. Man, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's exactly what he did. <laughs> yeah. It wears you out. It can. The church at Corinth, it was a disaster spiritually. Sexual perversion, drunkenness, the abuse of the Lord's table, uh, divorce, <laughs> it was a mess. There was a lot for Paul to address, but the first thing that he addressed, the first thing he addressed, their divisions and contentions. Not the fornication, not the son who had his father's wife, as gross as that was, not them suing each other in secular courts. He didn't go there. No, the first thing that he addressed was their divisions and contentions. You know why? Because, listen, we are not going to be able to get much done if we're spending so much time fighting amongst ourselves. Forget about it. Listen, spiritual immaturity is always exposed by what we are willing to war with another believer over. Please get that. Spiritual immaturity is always exposed by what we are willing to war with another believer over. There are times where I think to myself, I really don't think that's worth a cup of coffee. I mean, I really don't. I'll tell you, one of the things that, you know, 18 years now... Uh, one of the things that I had to learn as a husband is I had to learn that, you know what, that's not even worth the time. It's not even worth the conversation. Man, just let that go. <laughs> I've learned to hold my tongue. Amen. Lord, would you have me to say something here? Lord, should I address this? So I pray on it, sleep on it. And you know what usually happens the next day? I forget about it. You know why? Because it wasn't worth it. Let me give you a very simple but critical piece of wisdom that will help you. Refuse to war with any brother or sister who has not clearly sinned against the word of God. Refuse. Amen. Refuse to war with any brother or sister who has not clearly sinned against the word of God. Refuse. That is always your cue from God that this issue, whatever it may be, is not worth the time. Energy and conversation. If I can't go to the word of God and clearly pinpoint how you have crossed a line in God's word, I can let that go. But we just can't do that, can we? 
When Israel in Judges 20, when they gathered as one to go to war, they had a valid reason. <laughs> because the lines of God's word had been crossed egregiously. They were justified. But if we got that, our petty disagreements and spats would dissipate overnight. I believe to the tune of at least 80% if we just got that simple principle. Brother, sister, I am not going to fight with you, war with you, divide with you over that. The problem for too many, though, is... Their burden to be right is so greater than their burden to be unified. That's a problem. Boy, it means so much to you to be right. It means so much to you to have the last word. It means so much to you to make sure that you are heard, to make sure that your point is made. That's everything to you. Which is why you can't let things go. Because that means more to you than unity. When you have a burden to be unified, you are not going to war with a brother or sister over something that has zero impact on eternity. This just does not matter. He goes on to say, And unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ. Now, in case you haven't noticed, the Apostle Paul had a way of making statements that uh, just make your, your, your head spin. Or to the point where you're like, okay, Lord, uh, what do I start here? <laughs> the guy was brilliant, and the Holy Spirit used him to, I mean, it's just, what you have here is so rich and so deep that I'm just like, okay, I'm intimidated here. God, I'm not this smart. Help me, please. Maybe it's just me. But lies create distress, and they also give no assurance. They don't. This is why religion emphasizes working as hard as you can, doing as much as you can, hoping that you've done enough in the end. And you see that all across the board in religion. Name the religion, and you'll find that. And as we go deeper in chapter 2, that will be exposed more. But Paul told us in chapter 1 that we are rich in verse 27. Because the riches of the glory of this, ministry, of this mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory. So here's where Paul was going and is going in that great statement that we just read. He wanted them to be fully assured and understand, listen, how rich they were in Christ. They were loaded. Spiritually speaking, they were filthy rich. And so are we. This is what I'm saying. The way that we spend so much time and energy fighting and warring over things, you would think we were dirt poor. Mm. But we're filthy rich. Gnosticism was trying to persuade them that they were poor spiritually because they lacked this higher secret knowledge. Paul says to the contrary, <laughs> not even close, because in Christ we're loaded to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Again, very rich content. And when you compare Scripture with Scripture, 
We see exactly what is meant here. You have it in your notes. Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. That dynamite presentation that Paul gave us in chapter 1 on the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is obvious to us from that, that the Lord Jesus Christ was God, is God manifest in the flesh, to the glory of God. But here's where Paul was going ultimately with what he says. Look at verse 3. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures, plural, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, listen, are not hidden away in some special group of Gnostics. They're not. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are not tucked away in a select few elite individuals who just happen to be smarter than the rest of the world. To the contrary, no, they are hid in Christ. And guess what Paul tells us in this epistle in chapter 3? He tells us that our life is hid with Christ in God. So all, if listen, if all of the treasures and wisdom and knowledge are hid in Christ, and our life is hid with Christ in God, Here's what that means. Here's one of the things that it means. It means that in these last days, we better have a burden for the truth. Because that's the truth. That's the truth. That's what that means. The truth is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's the truth. God hasn't deprived us of anything. That's the truth. As we're going to see in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, we are what? Complete in Christ. That's the truth. We're not lacking anything. But listen, here's what Satan did with Eve. And this is what he does with so many of God's children to this very day because there are some things that Satan learned about humanity in the Garden of Eden that he is not abandoned. And he works this same attack today. In your life and in my life and in the lives of so many. Here's what he did with Eve. He was able to convince her, listen, that she had not been blessed with all spiritual blessings. You know what else he convinced her of? He also convinced her of the fact that uh, she was somehow incomplete. She wasn't complete. No, she was missing something. Those were both lies. Let me ask you a question. What was it? Can you name one thing that Eve was missing when Satan attacked her? Name one thing she was lacking. Name one blessing she did not have. Let me know when you find it. You won't, by the way. But Satan convinced her no, God hasn't fully blessed you. No, you are not complete. You are missing something. 
The truth was, God had blessed her with all spiritual blessings, and she had everything she needed. Now listen, it's subtle, but one of the lies, one of the lies that Satan whispers into your life on a regular basis, or tries to anyway, and into my life, is this. He whispers to you that there are some things that you need that cannot be found in the Word of God. There are some things that you're missing. There are some things that you're lacking. There are some things that you need that you don't have. And, and you can read Genesis to Revelation, but you will not find it. You have to go outside of the provision of God's word to get it. That's the lie. That's the lie. And unfortunately, many take that bait. And I can't begin to tell you how effective that lie is. Which is why Satan keeps going to it. Even if it's subtle, if you believe that God's word is somehow lacking, here's what you will do. You will take his path, you will follow whatever pursuit he has given you to go get what you think you need outside of the word of God. And the damage that that has done, and the damage that it does, and the damage that it will continue to do, is unbelievable. Unbelievable. We're talking about everything from addiction to bondage to you name it. Because God has God has held out on me. I mean, I'm reading and, and, and I just I, 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 I just can't seem to get what I need, and so brothers and sisters. That ended as poorly as it could end in the garden. Amen. And it will end as poorly with you if you take that bait. It ended in regret. And that's how it ends with you. Everything you need, God has given you in between those pages. If you take him at his word. But if you don't, you'll take Satan's bait and you'll pay dearly. We must therefore have a burden for the truth in these last of the last days. Lord, I want to thank you so much for what you have shown us so far in this opening, these opening verses of Colossians chapter 2. And, and Father, I do ask, I do pray that you would give us a burden for contentment. Uh, God, we have no reason to fret and be restless, anxious in these last days, God, if we just think on your many promises that God will be content instantly. And Father, I do pray that you give us a burden for unity. God, I have come to learn that schism and division and contentions amongst your people, it really does grieve you. God, we spend far too much time at war with each other over things that, Lord, if we're walking in the Spirit of God, we don't even give five seconds of attention or time to. And so, God, help us with this. Help us, Lord, to have a, a burden. Help us to have a longing for unity. And then, Lord, a burden for the truth. 
If we don't, then God, the lies that Satan uh, throws at us, God will take, we'll believe, and it will be to our detriment. So God, please, I pray that this foundation that we've laid for where we're going in Colossians chapter 2 would be meaningful, and that God, you would continue to just unpack the things that you have for us here. To your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.